Hello and welcome to Rock and Talk with Dak, your podcast for any and all things music. Each week we're talking about something in the world of music, bands, albums, artwork, news, and reviews. Be sure to subscribe to the feed on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Check out Instagram for Song of the Day or head over to Twitter to give feedback or just to say hi. I'm Dak, your host. Let's dive into today's episode. I want to first give a shout out. Uh, I'm recording this on Sunday, which is Mother's Day 2020. So happy belated Mother's Day to all of you moms out there tuning in. Thanks for keeping all us crazy kids in line. Most of all, though, thanks for loving us unconditionally. I don't know what I would do without my mom sometimes, and I'm almost 26. So if you're not a mom listening right now, you call and tell your mom that you love her. She'll love it, and she'll love you even more. Trust me, I'm Dak. I know what's up. (laughs) Anyway, today we're going to talk about the history of album art and its future in today's digital world. This is a bit of a successor to my LPs versus streaming episode uh, a few weeks ago. I haven't really talked about album art yet because it's visual, and I've been thinking about how to show that without doing like a video. Well, thankfully, I have an Instagram account and I can post things there. So, once we talk about it today, it's going to open up the conversation of album art and by extension, album packaging for the future of the show. And any album art that gets discussed on here, I'm going to be posting it to Instagram so you all can see it too. So, without further ado, let's learn some history. In the early days of the album, 78s were packaged in just plain brown paper or cardboard sleeves, and usually there was a circular cutout in the center so you could at least read the record label. There was a German company called Odeon, I believe it's how it's pronounced. They created what I think is the first true album in 1909 when they released The Nutcracker Suite by uh, Chbosky on four double-sided discs in the special package, and it was bound really much like a photo book like super nice, it was really cool looking. Um, and though there are some unique packaging designs today, this practice has really been lost to the ages. In the 1920s, uh, they started to sell these, really it was like the Tavosky one, it was just a, this bounded empty sleeve book. Um, you know, They sold it so people had a place to store their records. And again, you know, much like the other records, there wasn't anything crazy to them. They were more or less empty. But the first true cover uh, came out of Columbia Records when they hired Alex uh, Steinweiss as their first art director. Other companies followed suit, and by the late 40s, all these record labels were using their own colorful covers, and sometimes just using reproductions of classic art, or sometimes they had original designs. And as I discussed on that previous episode, LPs came into existence in 1948, again, thanks to Columbia Records, and over the next 30 years, they were the primary format of music distribution. They opened up new means by which musicians could create music. They were given the freedom to express musical ideas across this 40-plus minutes of playtime, and they played around with an array of themes and sounds. This newfound freedom is not just expressed through the music, but also through the artwork. And sometimes it's larger than life. And most likely the first impression that you get of a new album or a new artist for that matter, it's the artwork itself. And artwork comes in a variety of different presentations. Sometimes it's just a picture of the band. I'm thinking of the Beatles with the Beatles album, 
or Brandon Flowers' second solo album, The Desired Effect. Other times, it's repurposed artwork like Coldplay's Viva La Vida. They used Eugene Delacroix's Liberty Leading the People and just put on, you know, like pretty much painted on the words Viva La Vida. And then as for anything else, it's art. It's any and all things. Much like the music that the art represents, it's open to interpretation and it comes in many forms. The album era of music created a whole new industry within music. Design studios propped up everywhere specifically to create album artwork. And one of the most prolific ones that I can think of is Hypnosis, though they closed in the mid-80s. Hypnosis was most closely associated with Pink Floyd cover designs. And yes, I do mean Dark Side of the Moon. I mean, did you think I was going to talk music art and not mention arguably the most famous album art ever? You're wrong if you thought otherwise. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Hypnosis, even though they disbanded in the mid-80s, a lot of the individuals within not just Hypnosis, but these design studios as a whole, they would go on to have these very successful solo careers. And they not only found a niche, but they also had artists from outside the music industry produce a vast amount of art as well. One that I think of, probably one of my favorite poster designers and illustrators, is Drew Struzan. And you'll know why he's one of my favorites. He did a lot of designs for Star Wars. Um, But in the music world, he designed the album art for Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare, amongst many others, but that's probably one of his most famous ones. Uh, There's also celebrity photographer Annie Libovitz. I hope I pronounced that correct. Um, She's probably most famous as being the last person to professionally photograph John Lennon. On December 8th, 1980, she had a photo shoot with John and Yoko, and a mere five hours after their photo shoot wrapped up, John would be shot and killed just outside of his apartment. But, thus far, I've only talked about the visual aspect of album art. There's also the physical design, and there's been some really fun creative innovation with that over the years, though definitely few and far between. For example, English psychedelic rock group Small Faces released their third studio album. Uh, It was called Ogden's Nut Gone Flake. Um, They released it in the circular tin case. Now, both the design and the name itself was a parody of the tobacco brand Ogden's Nut Brown Flake. More recently, I think of, God, this is probably one of my favorites, uh, is Joe Satriani's 2015 album Shockwave Supernova. The CD release was this trifold design, and Joe Satriani's name is die cut on the first, uh, the first one. You open it up, and as you open up the other side, the album's name is revealed in the screen writing again die cut. I'll post a pic on Instagram. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's one of my favorite art designs in recent years, especially because it's on CD. That kind of fanciness is something you usually find on vinyl. And speaking of the recent years, album art has taken on a new life in the digital age. Now, when CDs began to take over in the 80s, album art was shrunk down to, I mean, well over 50%. You're going down from a little larger than 12 inches, down to 4.75. And with that smaller scale, you lose a lot of details, especially in expansive uh, pieces of art. And nowadays with streaming, 
you have album art that goes down even smaller, uh, goes down to inch and a half, um, at least what I see on my Apple Music on the iPhone 8. Or if you download music, not stream, but download it from like Amazon, you usually get a JPEG file of the art, and that's about 6.25 inches. But after looking at all this information, I wanted to find out if there was any sort of solution to, to this problem, this losing artwork in the digital age. And the only thing that I could find uh, came from Apple. In September of 2009, uh, Apple released iTunes LP. And it was introduced as an interactive digital format where record labels could attach files to the audio itself. Um, here's a little audio clip of Steve Jobs talking about the platform. We can deliver amazingly rich content digitally, and that's what we're doing with iTunes LP. So you bought a great album in the past, you can get that content again. It's got videos, it's got liner notes, it's got all sorts of stuff. So here's an example of some lyrics. Here's an example of a chronology of their albums that you can go into and all the songs. And the artists themselves can get involved with creating these things. We're giving all the tools to the labels and the artists so that they can bring their creativity directly to the listeners. And we think this is going to be really outstanding. However, in 2018, Apple ended service to the platform. It was rumored that three major record labels were supposed to be working on a similar format. Uh, I say supposed to be because I couldn't find any dedicated service to... to I couldn't find anything similar to iTunes LP. Um, but if any of you know about this, let me know in the comments. I, it's, I find it to be a really fascinating digital solution to this physical and tangible not really a problem, it's more just a complication from the passage of time. As technology has improved, artwork has kind of fallen by the wayside. And so much so that uh, Peter Saville, he's an art director for many artists, I think most famous uh, for doing artwork for New Order, uh, but he's also worked with Wham!, Peter Gabriel, and Roxy Music. Uh, he went so far as to declare that the album art cover would basically just die if CDs or vinyl were to truly become obsolete. And that brings us to nowadays, the, the future. Where, where does the album art go from here? I think it's a bit uncertain what happens. I believe that as long as vinyl continues to be a collector's item, and that format is supported at the, I mean, well over 1,400 independently owned record stores in the U.S., and there's that community around it, album art's going to continue to survive. You also have programs like Record Store Day, which not only has active participation on all continents, except Antarctica, it's also been around for 12, 13 years now, and musicians, both older and newer, they have new releases on there, whether it's a special edition vinyl or just a straight-up first-time vinyl release. It continues to grow each and every year, and that community builds. For me personally... God, I'd be super sad to see album art die, though I, I really have a hard time believing that it ever will, at least not entirely. There's just, there's so much attachment to album art. It can either tell a totally different story from the music, or it can infer something of the music. And it's, 
really special and unique combination that you don't really see in something like classic art. I mean, let's be honest, you're not looking at Mona Lisa trying to infer what music she represents. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it just wasn't created with that in mind. And I think that's why something like iTunes LP didn't quite work out like Apple thought it would. It's not necessarily all about the art itself. It's more than just this visual representation. It's about being able to hold that and see it in the real world, not through a digital lens. It's tangible. And I think that's why there's been a boom in vinyl. It's not all about hearing the music in that way. It's also about holding in your hands, and it's about how you see it, too. Let me know on Instagram what some of your favorite album art is. It'd be fun to talk about that. Um, and I think we've forgotten in our digital age uh, that music isn't all audio. There was a time when it was also a visual representation and you can certainly see that nowadays in modern album art. There's many, many more portrait, you know, photographic-based album art. And for me personally, especially when it comes to portrait-based art, that doesn't do much for me to get fired up for the music. If I wanted to see a picture of that person or that band, well, then I can just hop online and search them real quick if I wanted. I'd like to see something a little bit different. I want to see an artist's interpretation of the music that they hear or at least an artist's interpretation of the musician behind the music. And don't think that I hate photographs as album art. I don't. I absolutely don't. Now, it was certainly a go-to style throughout the 50s and 60s. I, I guess I just appreciate when there's a little bit more thought that goes into it. And that is something that I love about the Art of Rush. Yes, I know this guy and his Rush, but come on, just stay with me again. Like I said in that last episode about the band, there's so much to enjoy about them. Their art director, Hugh Syme, has been working with them since 1975. And I don't want to spoil very much because I'd love to just do an episode on him. Uh, but I will say that out of all of 19 uh, Rush Studio albums, zero, none of them are just a picture of the band. Hugh Syme handcrafted literal pieces of art and gave a lot of thought to the subject matter that the music talked about. And that's something that I look for in album art and something that I truly appreciate. And I also really enjoy when you have art like Iron Maiden's albums, just another example. And no, not because they're gruesome, which most of them really aren't. But it's because of the tie-in and the story and the Easter eggs that are there for you as a fan. The band's mascot, Eddie, he's featured on every album art of theirs in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, I, I say the tie-in and the story because uh, if you follow the album art throughout the mid-80s, Eddie kind of, like, he dies and then is reborn again. And then in the 90s album art, he's, like, dissected. I mean, there's a whole story to, to Eddie the mascot. And I think this is where I was getting to with the smaller-sized, you know, like the CD album art, I, where it becomes a bit of a detriment. So Iron Maiden Somewhere in Time art... I think it's one of the coolest and one of the more underappreciated album arts in the music world. The whole piece of art spans both sides of the gatefold, and it has Easter eggs to all of their albums up to that point, sprinkled throughout this Blade Runner-inspired sci-fi artwork. It's so damn cool, and you can just look at the detail for hours. And But that's something that I like about it, and, you know, the time and thought that went into how to craft that. So without getting too crazy. I'm going to call it a wrap. 
I just want to say again, like I love art, you know, art in general as classic art, and then especially album art. There's there's a lot to appreciate about it, and good art tells a story on its own, and it enhances what you hear. So next time you're listening to your favorite album, take a look at the artwork and see if you can find deeper meaning or find something else to appreciate about the music from the art. I guarantee you will. Thank you for joining me this week on Rock and Talk with Dak. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify so you never miss a beat. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating on iTunes. You can send me feedback on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, or simply spread the word and tell a friend. It all helps. As usual, thank you all for tuning in. This presentation is made possible by listeners like you. And be sure to tune in next Monday. And remember, don't judge an album by its cover. See you next time.